I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know where the afters is? <laughs> Right, well, How Lee, Lee, welcome to the afters. Thank you, mate. I'm, uh, I have to say I've been a, an avid listener since you've started, so um, I think it's an amazing thing that you've been doing, so thanks for having me on. That's really kind. We only started this fucking 10 minutes ago, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> to hear someone's an avid listener makes us feel uh, yeah, incredible. Yeah, definitely. No, thank you, but thank, thanks for coming. I know you've, you've travelled um, a little bit today as well. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's uh, I come to London as, as often as I can for, obviously, music industry purposes, so it's uh, it's been nice to tie in a nice visit with you, because it's been a while now. Well, to be honest, we are, I mean, we'll get into it, but we, we've known each other a long time. Yeah. But we haven't, we haven't actually sat down like this ever, have we? No. Uh, um, I, think, I think the first time we actually properly met was on a flight to Miami. See, if you okay. remember. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly. How was that memorable, clearly? Um, but yeah, that was, I was obviously managing Max at the time, and, yeah. and we, we bumped into each other on the Oh, no, I do remember. I completely and do. I think that yeah, was yeah. the first time, and then... Uh, and then, yeah, obviously, further down the line, we, we, we got together and I think we, I signed you for management the week before we went into lockdown. And well, we stop really... there. We'll, we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll um, get into that. Uh, but anyway, so I know who you are, obviously. Yeah. But for those at home who don't, who the fuck are you? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> uh, where do I start? Um, well, my name's Lee Haslam. Um, I've been in the industry now for, Christ, 27, Ages. 28 years. <laughs> yeah, which makes me feel really old. Um <laughs> I actually started off, my my journey into the music industry is probably not a conventional one because I, I wasn't really that engaged with music at school. Right. Uh, I wanted to be a teacher. Okay. Teacher so, of anything in particular? A or? primary school teacher, actually. Okay. So I, I did that. I worked at um, a private school in Doncaster, which is where I'm from. I uh, worked in a private school for four years. But during that time, uh, one of my very close friends, uh, Stuart Jones, took me to a club uh, in Sheffield called The Music Factory. Okay. And I ended up watching, uh, who was it now? I think it was Jeremy Healy. Um, oh, wicked. That was probably the day that changed the whole trajectory of my life because from that point on, it was all, it was all about clubbing. It was all about music. Yeah. Um, and then over time, because um, I was teaching, I, was kept, I kept getting tonsillitis all the time. So the, my employer said, look, you're going to have to have your tonsils taken out. 
They told you that? Yeah, they told me that because I was having too much time off work. Fuck, okay. So, fair uh, enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you have your tonsils, I was thinking I was 22 at the time, something like that. Yeah. So at that, if you have your tonsils taken out at that time, you have to have quite a bit of time off work because it knocks you for six. Obviously, okay. it affects your immune system and everything else. Yeah. So I had four weeks off work. So um, I thought, fuck it, I'll just buy some decks. To, and I actually taught myself how to mix. What decks did you buy? That's well, the question. This is, uh, Gemini belt drives. Yes, fucking man. Just like a starter kit, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and, of course. I think the ones you had to, if once the belt goes loose, you take the belt off and then you shrink them down and yeah, walk. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the pitch was at the front and it was like a little, it literally was about that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minute. <laughs> and, you know, but if you could mix on them, you could mix, mix on anything. anything. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's where I learned how to mix. And I used to go to clubs, Gatecrasher, um, Sunday Central. My idols were Scott Bond, Tony DeVee, basically. I used to go week in, week out and just... I'd go with my girlfriend at the time and just abandon her at the door and just walk, <laughs> go up to the so, bal- yeah. balcony and I would just literally stand and watch DJs play. Really? And that's how I taught myself how to mix from, like I say, the greats that there were around then, Judge Jules, all these people. Um, and Tony was really probably my idol at the time. He was the number one DJ. Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, I think it was 1998. Yeah. But I learned so much from watching DJs and I, obviously... I started practicing a bit more. My girlfriend at the time then uh, gave, this is how, how long ago it was, it was a tape of me DJing uh, to a local promoter and I got my first gig and then it kind of snowballed from there really. I played a lot in my hometown, Doncaster, and then I got further afield going to Leeds, Manchester and then a good friend of mine, uh, Steve Longley, worked for a company called the Music Factory Entertainment Group who is the company that owns Tidy Tracks, the label. Yeah, um, I'm very aware of who yes, Tidy are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Tidy Tracks have been around, still going very strong. Yeah, yeah, it's their I've 30th birthday next year. And um, they were looking for somebody to do their club promotions. Uh, and my mate, who was working there at the time, recommended me to a guy called Andy Pickles, who was one of the, the Tidy Boys. Um, and he came to watch me play. So I remember walking into this club and seeing him stood behind the decks and absolutely shitting myself because obviously I knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my mate Steve had not told me about anything that was going on, so it was kind of like I was dropped in it. Uh, but, you know, you learn fast, and um, we got on really well, and he offered me the job. So yeah, I was like, right, I'm in the predicament now because I wanted to be a, school, uh, you know, a primary school teacher, uh, and now I've got an opportunity to get into the music industry. So And how old were you at that point then? I was you had that probably 22, 23. Okay. So I thought, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. And I just I quit my job. Um, impulse, Im- impulse, yeah, to- total impulse, passion, incredible. Um, didn't know anything about the music industry. Didn't know anything about record labels. But I thought I could I could learn fast. So that's exactly what I did. And um, started off there. Worked doing the club promotions. Saw the likes of Lisa Lashes, Paul Janes, all these big DJs, Anne Savage, Andy Farley, Ian M. All these massive hard house names coming into the studio on a regular basis. Um, and I was just hooked. And then, obviously, from there, I got promoted to label manager. And then Tidy really rocketed from, like, the probably 98 onwards. Um, so I was running the events and, and helping with the label as well. Yeah, amazing. So that that stops us, what, 98, though, right? 98, yeah. That's a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... And, I, then, and then from that, but we know that Lee Haslam is the... The, the artist as well, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, so you release music so at that point. Yeah, I was I was obviously producing music. Uh, I was working full time as a label manager, so from nine to nine to five, five days a week, running the label. Yeah. Then as soon as I finished work, it was straight in the studio making music. 
releasing music on Tidy and went from playing in my hometown of Doncaster to playing all over the world and touring, being an international touring DJ for the best part of 10, ten years. So what, what did you like about touring or is it... Um... Um, it was different back then. The whole scene was different back then. Yeah. You know, was, we were playing vinyl, the whole... The whole the, the music industry was totally different. There was no internet, there was no social media. Mm. You know, it was, you, you were touring, when you were touring, you were touring with a box of vinyl, which, you know, heavy. It, it's pretty <laughs> heavy. And uh, it, there was no tour managers back then. You was, it was just you. So sometimes it was quite lonely. You know, yeah. you're out there, you know, like I said before, touring, playing in Japan, South Africa, America, Canada, you name it, middle of Russia I've played. So, and you're on your own. And yeah. so you, you have to learn fast and, you know, you meet people along the way, but, you, you're doing the bulk of it on your own, but I didn't. I didn't mind that. To be fair, you know, I got on with it. I always knew that as soon as I got back off the plane, I was straight back to the office because there was, you know, the the label to be run. So that kept me on the straight and narrow, really. And when did you transition? Because I know you in a from a manager's point of view. Mm. Okay, we'll get onto that in a minute. Mm. But when did you go from? Because we're probably going to fast forward quite a bit from yeah. that artist who was on the road managing the label. What year was it when you went into managing artists? And so that was about uh, 2012. So, okay, so I, I left Tidy uh, in 2007, and then I started working for another brand called Slinky, which okay. is a, a trance brand based down in Bournemouth. And I ran Slinky for about seven years um, and then had kids and then decided, look, you know, I don't want to be do, doing this touring as much now. I just can't. Obviously, I want to see, see my kids grow up. And thought, you know, the next phase for me is obviously probably management. And uh, I started working for a company called Fresh uh, Artist Management. And that's when, was we, the, yeah, that's when the, we met. Yeah, right? exactly. So they were looking after people like Judge Jules and people like that. But I wanted to start a new roster with a new sound. Obviously, um, I was really into the underground sound. And obviously the house stuff, tech house that was starting to bubble under then. And Max was my first signing, yeah. uh, Max Chapman. Max so Chapman. signed Max and then obviously built the roster from there. Uh, signed with Left Wing Cody, Piero Pirupa few others and then I left fresh I think it was 2008 I think no 2018 sorry yeah and then set up uh, set up locust management which with my other colleagues uh, David Bourne and uh, Ross Canavan well so I'm gonna go back a little bit here so when you were with when Max was with you yeah I'd met Max, I can't remember what time when me and Max met, but it was probably around the 16, 17. When did you actually start working with Max? I think what was, year was it, it roughly? It must have been about 2015, 16. Okay, so he'd already been with you. But I remember I remember vivid, vividly speaking to Max and I had this very interesting game of comparisonitis. Yeah. I was like, right, Max is playing this fucking show and he's got a Hot Creations release coming up and he's done this and this and this and this. And I, I, I remember at the time vividly going, I want fucking Lee Haslam as a manager. And I'm sure I reached out to you a yeah. couple of times. And yeah. I remember the first time I reached out, you were very honest and you said, thanks for reaching out, but I just haven't got the capacity. Yeah. You had too many artists. Yeah. And I, I remember being very impressed by that because you knocked back an artist <clears throat> who obviously would have you know, brought you more revenue. Yeah. But you said no because it would have had an impact mm. on the other artists you had. Yeah. And I thought that was... That was very endearing to hear that because, and at that point, I wanted you fucking more. I was like, this <laughs> this guy is literally everything I wanted in a manager. And obviously, at the oh, time, man, I was going through you. a very turbulent time with mm. my management, and it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't even getting it wasn't even at the turbulent time when I was reaching out to you. But I I kind of saw the writing was on the wall. Yeah, 
and saw how well you were doing with Max. And every time I spoke to Max, Max had nothing but good things to say about yeah. it. I was like, just fucking stop saying so it's just <laughs> nice things about him. Um, but yeah, I remember that, that point vividly and just thinking, you know, that, that you could see clearly that you were, you were, you were grafting for your artists. Mm. You were putting the work in and you, you'd be surprised and you won't be surprised, but people out there would be surprised at how many managers are out there just taking 20% yeah, or 15% yeah. and not yeah. really doing anything. Yeah. They, they, they do a little bit at the start and they get them on board and get them like sweetened. And yeah, yeah. Once, once they start to get those shows, they just yeah. kind of sit back yeah. and it, it's really common. Um, but that's that, that's my first memory of, of really, of, of, of kind of starting to really know who you are because you really showed your colors there and, and I was really impressed by that. Thanks, mate. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a strong believer, you know, if you're going to, you're investing your time in somebody else's dream at the end of the day, yeah. and you have to you have to be really devoted to it 100% to be able to deliver what they want. And I've been approached by people before, and even if I've had the capacity, if I don't feel it's right for me, then I wouldn't do it because yeah. at the end of the day, it's my reputation on the line, and I've worked too hard in this industry for to have a good reputation. Absolutely. So I'd rather just be honest. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, there was a point where I had six artists managing them. And obviously, they're all different, varying positions in the in the career. But that was, you know, my max of what you can do because real realistically, there's only enough hours in the day. Yeah. And as an artist manager, literally, you are working twenty four seven because from the minute you're waking up, you're either speaking to somebody in Australia or you're speaking to somebody in the UK, or at the end of the day, you're speaking to somebody in America. And if you're doing your job properly, you're having all these conversations with different people promoting the artists and excuse me, activating their their um, their plan, yeah. then you have to be 100% de devoted to it. So well, let's, let's let's talk about that a little bit, like in terms of a, a, a manager's role in this kind of um, music industry. For people out there, maybe a young artist coming up who mm. haven't had a manager yet, yeah. um, it, you know, let's just go through the role of a manager. What What is the role of a manager and what are they there to do in order to help or work with an artist? Well, it's to realise what the, the aspirations of the artist, you know, to help them get from A to B. I always say you're there to join the dots, you know. It's about, ultimately, it's the, it's the artist that's got the dream and what, who they want to work with, what labels they want to be, the sound, and it's your job to sit down and build the strategy of how you're going to do that from the ground up. And unless you build really strong foundations to begin with, it's never gonna. It's never gonna come to fruition. So, you know, the, the first step is obviously sitting down with them and listening to them about where where they've been, what they want to do, where they want to go to, and then offering your advice as to how you can do that. You know, building relationships with the right labels, working with the right promoters. You know, a lot of people out there just think it's just a, it's a yes game, and it's it's actually not. You know, careers are built on the things that you say no to rather than the things you say yes to because it's very easy to say yes but that might not be the right show might not be the right promoter might not be the right label so you've got to really be uh, be really solid with the foundations and the plan that you've got to begin with with that artist and if that means you know you only want to work with five labels these are these are the label my dream labels that I want to build with if those five labels you send your music to those five labels and they all say no you don't then go to a six or a seventh further down the line. Got, Just, yeah, you've yeah. got to stick to the plan because you can release. I get it. As a I've been there myself as a producer and DJ. When you make a track, you, fuck it, I want to get it released. Yeah, instantly. You're excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah of it. course. And you put someone, it out. But <clears throat> you can do that. You can release it on a, a label that might be seventh, eighth, or ninth on your list. But realistically, what impact is that going to have on what your plan is? You know, that, that, that's an interesting point to touch on. What impact does that have 
on on because I was always told that you know you, let's say you're let's just use this in a, as a very it's a very generic um, example but everyone wants to be signed to Hot Creations or it was yeah. a big thing right yeah. I want to be signed to Hot Creations I'm putting tracks out sending them to Jamie Jamie's getting back and saying they're all right but like keep sending keep yeah. sending keep sending and you go right okay this isn't fucking working but I've got another five or six labels who are like maybe yeah, eighth or ninth down the list mm. they'll release it next week or next yeah. month right. Yeah. But I just need music out, right? People yeah. aren't going to know who I am yeah, yeah, yeah. if I don't get music out. So yeah. what effect does that have on you getting signed to the bigger labels down the line? Is it is it a bigger impact or...? I think less is more. Okay. For me as an artist, I would rather release, release two records that are massive in a year than release 10 that don't really chart and great. don't really do much because yeah, it's it's... It, all it is is a bit of self gratification, probably that you want. Yeah, you want you want people to hear your music. Well, that's what SoundCloud's for. Yeah, you know, you've got A and R. You've got A and R's from all the major record labels, constantly on SoundCloud. Build your fan base. Yeah. You can release stuff through Bandcamp if you want to. If you want Loads to of people it. are doing that. I saw yeah. Josh Butler was putting stuff out, yeah, and stuff, yeah. you know, putting tracks on there, and he, they were selling, and yeah. he was also getting his music out, and he doesn't yeah. have to fucking sort yeah. of deal with the label, and he's not like compromising his integrity by putting it on a, on a smaller yeah. label. Yeah. yeah. He's and just releasing it himself. At the end of the day, you're, you're, you're retaining your IP. These, these, yeah. these, the music that you create is your, is your asset. Yeah. yeah. If you sign it to a label just willy nilly because you just want to get it out, well, that, you might want to do something with that track for, further down the line. Do you know what I mean? You might, or you might want to pitch that out to another producer who may be bigger and do a collaboration with them. Yeah. You know, there's lots of different ways and means of doing it, but I think the knee-jerk reaction is that you want to get music out because you want people to hear you. That's great, but especially these days with social media, build your fan base. Put it on SoundCloud, get recognition that way and get, get the players that way because you can use the ammunition then because an A&R is just looking for a, the next big track. Yeah, huge If they track. see something on Spotify that's, uh, or on SoundCloud, sorry, that's popping and getting great reactions. <clears throat> I've done it before when I've sent a, re a, 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 a track to a label. They've turned it down and then six months later they've come back and wanted to sign it. Because it's, because it's because popping. It's, because it's popping. So the, the, you have to be patient with it, and that is really, really difficult when you're, especially when you're starting out. I, me I remember having a conversation with you. We had that conversation you were talking about where when we first, so, sorry, let's go back full circle again. I obviously left, so I wasn't, it wasn't actually left. COVID came 2020, right? Yeah. March 2020. We reconnected just before that, right? So, we actually signed a deal to work together in February 2020, something like that. It was March. It was, was, it, was it two weeks? It was literally, yeah. So I, I was just about to go to South, Amer South America. Yeah. I was going back to Lost Beach Club. I was going to do yeah. Australia and all this stuff. Yeah. And finally, we had a conversation. We were just, I think I started talking to Ross actually originally. Mm. And then we started talking. And then I was buzzing because I finally got the manager I wanted. Yeah. I was like, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Right? I've, I've, after all these years... 2020, I think we. I first, you know, put put my feelers out with you about 2017. You said we couldn't do it. 2018, you said you couldn't do it. 2020, I was there. Like this is the manager I've wanted. I was a free agent, perfect. And then two weeks later, I went into lockdown. And obviously, you know, as yeah. people know who listen to this podcast, I didn't go back into the music industry. So it's kind of sod's law yeah. because we never actually got to work no. together properly. We did, I think we did one show. I think I played, or maybe, you know, I did this the Studio 338 yeah. show and I went to Dubai once as well. So it was yeah. a couple of shows, but we were, we were working with you was completely differently because we got on a call. We went through 
everything. So just exactly what you said there, like, who do you want to work with? What's mm. the labels that you want to work yeah. with? And we made a list of them and like, which shows do you want to play? And where do you see you, yourself yeah. in three, five years or whatever? And I never had those questions asked. It was always what was in front of me. So mm. what's available now? Who's interested in you? Like the managers I've had in the past have said, oh, I've been speaking to this guy. They, they might be interested in music. And it was never like about what I wanted. I was mm. just like giving them music and they were just putting it out and seeing what stuck. Throwing shit against the wall, basically. Yeah. But with you, we sat down, went through this list and I really felt like, this is the right fit. Mm. I just wish it had happened four years before. Yeah, yeah, because me too. We don't know what would have happened, you know, yeah, if, yeah. If, if that had been the case. And um, that's it, you know, from a manager's point of view, you've got to listen to the artists. You know, it's not your dream. You're there to help them get their dream, you know. Yeah. And that's, I think, maybe the my experience. I mean, I never had a manager. Uh, oh, you didn't? Just, you, no, no. I, I, was, I, I was kind of like self-managed almost. But, yeah. but, but, but managers weren't really a thing back in the late 90s and early 2000s. They were for the, obviously the bigger guys like your Oakenfolds and people like that. That. but for DJs at my level there wasn't really management so obviously I, I learned a lot of what I've done through just making my own mistakes to be honest just tripping up and yeah just, yeah, yeah. And it, but ultimately if you are working as a team there's no point in me sitting here and saying you're with you will play on this label you will play for this yeah. brand because it's never going to work no. you know it's, it's got to be a back and forth and you are literally I, I used to talk to my artist more than my wife and she, <laughs> well, that... and she will and she will say that as well back in yeah but, but, you know, me and Max used to talk three, four, five, six times a day, you know, just about loads of different stuff. Oh, I remember and being with him yeah. in the studio and you, yeah. you would call him every hour, in a couple of hours, every couple of hours I'd hit you, yeah. see his yeah. phone ring. Or and messages you. or whatever. But also, that's what stuck out for me as well, because I might not hear from my manager for four days until oh. I get my itinerary on the Thursday yeah. and he'll go, oh, which flight do you want for this? And then that'll be it. Some, yeah. some weeks. Yeah. And I saw the communication between you and Max was like, it was incredible. To yeah, see I mean, Max, relationship me and great. Cody, Pierre. Yeah, Chris and John, yeah, yeah every single day even if it's, if it's not a call it's certainly like we have the whatsapp group and we're always coming up with ideas and talking about strategies and what we need to do and planning that's that's what you should be doing yeah. as a manager so, I so think the, the relationship sorry the relationship between the artist and the manager is super important mm -hmm. clearly by what everything yeah. you're saying how yeah how important is it to find the right manager and how does an artist even choose a manager because yeah, it's yeah it's hard i mean one the one thing i would say advice wise is never Never go out to look for a manager. Wait like, for like you don't don't go out looking for a girl. <laughs> don't go out looking for a girlfriend because you'll never find one. come when you least expect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want a manager that's going to come to you and, and, and really sell themselves to you. And you want to see that passion that they've got for your... You know, I've done it before historically. I've, mani I've managed an act for, for nothing for a number of months to prove that I am dedicated to their cause. Amazing. Now... I didn't have to do that, no, of but I did it because I believed in that act. Yeah. And I'm glad I did it because I still manage them today. So it's it, it pays off because you want you want somebody who's really invested in what you believe in and what your what your goals are. Because if you haven't, they're not going to go that extra mile to go for you. Well, this is this is again coming back to how when we worked together, we went into lockdown. And you did so much fucking work with me, mm. knowing there was going to be no return yeah. on investment mm. for fucking what? How long's a piece of string? Yeah, yeah. Because when we went into lockdown, we had all these shows lined up, but they all got cancelled. Yeah. I remember when I had those tours booked to South America and Australia, and the flights were paid for. You know, obviously because all shows were landed yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I remember speaking to Ben at Radius, Ben King, and he said, "It's all right. We'll push the shows back three months." So I would change all my flights back three months yeah. thinking that in three months, this will all be fine. It's yeah. all it's all going to be washed over. Air, airports will be back home. You'll be on the road. Yeah. So I changed my fucking flights mm. thinking that was going to be fine. And it wasn't. And 
um, I remember the, how much work we did in that time between March and I can't remember when it was. It was probably the following, it was the following August, mm. right? So yeah. it was well over a year that yeah. we were like working together. But yeah. I think towards the tail end of that, that 2021 year, I wasn't really doing much. But we were, we did the writers camps, yeah, we did yeah. all, made all those tracks. We were trying to get shows lined up and trying to build relationships. We worked on the new logo and like yeah. rebranding yeah. myself as like a, as a yeah. brand. Everything was yeah. kind of working, knowing that fine, well, you weren't making a penny off that. And yeah. again, that just goes to show that you, that's just, a, you're, you're invested in your yeah, artist. Yeah, well, you have to be, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And you know, it was a really tricky time, not you know, for everybody Everyone. in the industry, because like you say, we didn't know how long it was going to last. No. Uh, some DJs just didn't do anything and just, down tools some labels did, did even did that do you know what i mean but i think you needed to try and keep as busy as you possibly could like chris and john i know they were doing a lot of sessions Pierre was doing a lot of sessions um but then obviously a number of the underground guys because they relied so much on the the live stuff and weren't Bombs. you know there's not a lot of money in under in underground dance music as you well know so yeah. it's it's a tricky one to balance really but you pushed through and let's fast forward a little bit then mm. so you know, forget about me and us not working <laughs> together anymore. After that, so now, sat here today, what is your position? What are you up to? What's your projects? Are you still managing artists? Yeah, or you are? Well, I'm still managing. I mean, COVID was a tricky time, obviously, like I said. Um, at that point, I think I was managing about six, like six acts then. Okay. Um, in the last eight, probably year to 18 months, um, I've reduced right down to two. Um, a lot of that was artists leaving, um, which was quite an impact on me because a lot of those artists I'd managed for quite a long time. But obviously when COVID hit, it changed the scene dramatically. And I think it's something that obviously, I know you talked to Huxley about it on, the, on, on his podcast. You know, mm -hmm. there's a massive gulf now between uh, the, 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 the live scene that was pre-COVID to what it is now. Yeah. Uh, and that's been accelerated by COVID in the sense that um, what do you mean by that? Sorry, I, I'm not following the, the difference between... So when all, all the, the, the guys that I, I was looking after were heavily, were touring a lot, yep. live music, um, doing good numbers in the music, then COVID hit. And then when we came back, it was almost like the um, someone had flicked a switch. And then the whole booking ethos for promoters. Oh, I see switch. what you mean. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they were like, you know, booking really big headline acts, but then filling the the lineup up with with open more up and coming acts. So that middle section that were, you know, the the second headliners, third headliners, the support acts were really get were really hit hard. I got out the fucking right time then, didn't I? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly where yeah, I sat. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, laughing and, about it, but it's, 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 it's... There's so many amazing producers out there and DJs that uh, have, since COVID, have come back. There's been a real shift because of that. And, you know, I don't blame it. Promoters, they just want to sell tickets. Well, they, have to, they, have they have to, to sell they tickets. Have, they have to recoup the losses. So, Absolutely. So they've obviously looked at, you know, their booking acts that will be guaranteed ticket sellers. Whereas before... There were a lot more smaller venues yeah. that you could break talent with. Yeah. The, um, those clubs aren't there anymore. Like so, the two, three hundred cap ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, you know, you, you you could get you, you know your second hand headliners on a on a big festival, for instance, might headline a smaller venue. Yeah. But they're they're all gone. Gone. So, so well, Josh Parkinson was talking about that. He was in the the other day. He was talking about he he's working with this guys called Save Our Scene. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about the rate at which clubs are closing. Yeah. That, you know, in the next five, ten years, we yeah. might have no none of these yeah. the clubs are going to be left. Yeah. Sorry, co continue. No, but you're right. It's, you know, and that, and that those feeder clubs, because they're not there, 
you know a lot of artists are really really struggling to get shows and that has a, a big impact because obviously if you're an underground dance DJ doing tech house or whatever your gigs are your bread and butter that's what pays the bills you know you're not you're not really you're making music for more promotional purposes Absolutely. but then having said that you know even if you're an artist that streams big numbers you're not going to make a huge amount of money i mean put it into perspective if you did 65 million streams in a year on master royalties alone you're probably going to earn about 25 to 30 grand a year how many how many millions 65 million so you need 65 million streams yeah, to make 20 grand. Yeah, bearing in mind that most dance music tracks that are streamed involved multiple artists. So a singer, a producer, sometimes two producers. So when a, a Spotify are paying 0.0001 pence per stream, not even one pence, one cent per stream, then obviously the label, they've got to reduce, take their costs out of that. <laughs> then they're going to take their share out of that. Then they're going to split the royalties out of that. So... Who who can survive on twenty five thirty grand a year? But yeah, but tell me how many how many artists of that size are actually doing those numbers? Not many. Yeah. So unless you are touring, it's fucking hard work. So that's why a lot of people, you know, great producers are having to diversify and you know do sample packs and and all these other things that you can do to supplement their income and ghostwrite for other producers. Do a lot of writing camps. I mean a lot of great writers out there but you don't get paid for writing you know right. you go you could do a month's a month's worth of writing camps yeah but you won't get paid for hardly any of it you've just got to look hope and pray that one of those tracks that you do in those camps gets signed to a label and you get a cut it's almost like a lottery it's like a lottery yeah. isn't it really you're yeah. you're almost gambling your time because you have no idea whether any of those ideas are going to pop yeah so you're basically just winging it and hoping that yeah. something sticks. Yeah, and you know, it's all about working with the right people there. You know, you could write ten tracks in a year, but only one might might get picked up and if, signed. Yeah. If and that and, you know, you can't you can't plan on on something like that. So it's it's very 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 hard since COVID. And the whole, you know, the social media aspect of it as well, you know, it's gone from I think pre COVID it was very much um, you know, pictures of you dining out in swanky restaurants yeah. and uh, uh, and you know Lear jets and all this lot and it's like I think it's kind of shifted it's more about being honest now because during covid um if you didn't have music and you didn't you weren't releasing anything you weren't DJing well what were artists supposed to do yeah and what they did is they invested the time on social media and that's why I think people like Hannah Lane uh, Ben Hemsley Chapter and Verse all these guys they sell themselves. They are the product. The artist is the product. Yeah. So if you've not got the music, you have to build strong foundations again, going back to what I said earlier, yeah. and build your fan base. And people now just want to get to know you. They don't, they're not necessarily fooled by you know, the glossy images that you can post. People with direct lines of communication who, and artists who actually talk to the fan bases and go on video and get your personality across, they're the ones that have done really well after COVID because people buy into them more. Yeah. And that's what my promoters want to book them because they're hard ticket sellers. They can put a show on yeah. and sell 6,000 tickets Without like that. Trying, yeah. yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Like Shaq, little uh, yeah. Shaq from Newcastle. Yeah. I remember seeing him. I never, because I'm out the loop now massively. Honestly, yeah. I'll speak to some people, and they're like, "Have you have you heard this new track by X X artist?" I'm like, "I have no idea who that is," and they're like, "You have no idea?" And I'm like, "Listen, mm. I don't have a clue." Anyway, I came back. I was kind of coming back when I was starting to look at this, doing this podcast. I was kind of looking on Instagram and stuff. So I had a massive hiatus off social media. I just yeah. needed a break. Yeah, come back on, and I saw this this lad called Shaq, and I was he's coming talking to the camera like proper Jordy and yeah, like yeah. being himself and it's yeah. a personality yeah. that fucking sells itself yeah. but another a bigger example like Fish is a perfect example of this like yeah. he just comes 100%. on he's just a daft yeah. lad yeah. just being normal yeah. being silly and people yeah. really it's been about being relatable yeah 100%. and that comes across in the social media stuff I, I remember even like a couple of weeks ago I remember like um, looking at it, it might have been Helen Lang or Shaq or someone like that and going I didn't because I was so busy having fucking fun and getting wrecked right mm. honestly I didn't like. I didn't even get like friends who come on the road with me. I didn't even get them to take videos of me. I remember looking at my maps where I've been and had like pictures taken, right? And looking at where I'd played, and in sixty or seventy percent of those places, I haven't even got any content. <laughs> Not even a video yeah. of me playing. I'm like yeah. playing these amazing shows, but I was so busy on like, where's the tequila? Like, fucking give me a line, whatever it was. Being just yeah. being silly. I missed out on all that content, which again, like yeah. you said, that that's what it would have sold. Yeah. That's what I, that's yeah. what you put on social media to keep that fan base or build that fan base. Yeah. I didn't I didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and Max, Max won't mind me saying this, but I used to pull my hair out with Max because he used to do exactly the same. He used to play these amazing shows, and I'd go first thing I'd ask what him, did you, you get something? It was like uh, nothing. <laughs> Max, I love you, but fuck me. Yeah. You know. But anyway, yeah. It, it, but it, the thing is, is it's not it's not easy either. You know, it's not every artist feels. comfortable comfortable doing that yeah no so, of course yeah you know, and, and it takes like, a certain, certain yeah, I mean, personality i'm so glad there was no social media when i was a dj <laughs> because i would have been shit yeah, because yeah, yeah i'm just not that type of person yeah. but unfortunately in this day and age it's a prerequisite that you you have to invest in that you know you look at people like fleur shaw now you know who's blowing up she's invested so much in the social media and she's absolutely killing it yeah, at the yeah. minute. and you know if you can couple the image online with a great fan base and then you add music to it then you, that's why you're getting these these big spikes of like huge artists like Ben and Hannah and all the people that we just spoke about. That's interesting. So like I've I've never thought of it that way. It's it's a prerequisite. It's part it's part of the package. It is. If you if you don't if you're not active. So this is this is a thing. I remember having this conversation about being a producer, say like ten years ago, and being like. There might be some amazing DJs. Forget about social media. This is before yeah. social media, right? There might be some famous, like not famous, um, really talented producers and DJs who just DJ in the bedroom. Yeah. But if they're not going out to the club to hand a USB or a tape or a CD yeah. or whatever it yeah, was yeah. right back then, no one knows who you are, right? Yeah. But now there's a platform for that. Yeah. And if you're not using that platform, not even just using it, 
you have to be using it the right way. Yeah. So you might be getting photos at the gig or whatever, but then you've got like, say, like Shaq coming on and like, oh yeah, how's it going, lad? Yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. that stuff and like just being like really like just daft in himself yeah. and creating this persona, not creating persona. He's just he's a personality, right? And he's mm. putting that out to the world. That's that's part and parcel of it, mm. and that puts you ahead of the rest, which is interesting because not everyone's that. No. extrovert there's a lot of introverts who will be very talented at what they do but because they haven't got that outgoing personality that might hold them back and that's there's, interesting yeah there's there's ways and means of doing it though you know you, you need to play to your strengths at the yeah. end of the day so if you're not like a gregarious outgoing person like Shaq and who just wants to go like, like what you just said there are other ways that you can do it you know if you if you're really you know you might be a really geeky producer so there's there's ways of you know getting people into the studio and I've often said to my artists even if you're in the studio just get a camera Press record and just forget about it and just do some jamming and then you got some you got you might be able to go oh that bit was wicked so I can rewind use that asset use it as a story absolutely you, there's you know I could sit down and write an artist a full month's plan of social media of what they can do but at the end of the day if they don't do it there's yeah there's it, nothing it, you can do yeah I, you know it, you can lead a horse to water in some cases but you can't always make it drink but. I think the press, you can't put too much pressure on people to do something that they're not comfortable with. They've got to be comfortable with it, otherwise it won't work and it's not honest. Yeah, th th I resonate with that actually a lot because I remember, I'm going to, I didn't know whether I was going to tell you this actually. Um, I, I actually called my wife on the way through and I was like, look, I've got this story I want to tell Lee. But I literally just popped in my head this morning. I've got this story I want to tell Lee about when we were working together. But I don't know whether I should tell him. She was like, tell us what it is. And I told her and she went, be fucking honest, tell him. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, all right, okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. So when we were working together, this was towards the very end, we were doing that writer's camp. Yeah. So I was making tracks and sending them back and forth. Yeah. We're sending them to vocalists and the vocalists were sending top lines back and working together. Mm. Now we had that, um, that day planned where we were supposed to, I was going to go in the studio in London and I was going to go in with, I can't remember what his name was. But we're going to go in the studio and we're going to we're going to be on calls with all the guys on the. I think we had like a, a schedule for that day, yeah. right? So I was going to come into London and I was going to do that and we we're going to come out with hopefully like four or five tracks, right? Yeah. Now that same night, so that week, my friend, one of my best friends at the time, um, had been going through some trouble with his uh, with his missus, mm. and they actually broke up and he was in a really bad place. So yeah. I was like, right, this happened the week before, but I was like, right, this is the only day I can do it, and I'm in London next day for for this uh, writer's camp. So mm. I'll be in the studio the next day. I hired an, Air an Airbnb with some friends. Um, and all, I, got, I got all these like good friends together and we basically had a bit of a smash up, right? Yeah, yeah. And the next day I woke up and I was like, I, I did get a few hours sleep and I was like, fuck, I'm not going to be like, I look like shit. I hadn't had much sleep. I'm fucking hungover. Lee's going to kill us and what am I going to do? <laughs> so I was like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to call Lee and I'm going to tell him that I think I've got COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Do you remember? Yeah, I don't remember. You don't no. remember? Oh, thank so, fuck for that, so. right? I, well, could, I could have said yes. <laughs> but basically, I, I was in London, and the studio was an hour away where I, where I was from, I, I, where I was at the time. And I just said to, I called Eleanor, went, "I'm not sure I can go to this. I feel awful. I'm sweating. Like obviously, you can yeah. smell drink on us." I said, "Right, I'm going to tell Lee I've got COVID, and I'm going to go home." And, I'm, I, I, and he said, I, you, "I think you said at the time you can do it from Zoom." So I went home, and we did it on Zoom, but. That was so. This this is this comes back again to something I've talked about in the podcast before. Is you've got to be in a hundred percent, right? And I clearly wasn't in a hundred percent. 
that was an opportunity for me that you'd lined up, that you worked hard on in the behind the scenes, lining all these art, these artists up, all these, it was through the publishing, whatever we, we were mm, doing, yeah. you lined all these opportunities up for me to come in and work in the studio for a full day for all these people. Again, no return on investment mm. at that point. We hadn't really been able to do any yeah. performance and I just fucking blew it. And it comes down again to what I, what I prioritize. I prioritize just fucking partying, having fun, just yeah. being stupid and not being responsible. So these, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is these opportunities are there. It depends how much you want it. Yeah. At the start of my career, I was so hungry for this. I would have done anything. Yeah. And my first manager was like, right, you've got a, a gig here and then a gig here the day after, but you've got to do three flights to get there. Now, some of his bigger artists were like, there's no fucking way I'll do that because mm -hmm. I've done all that shit in the past. Yeah. And he was like, you're probably not going to mind. I was like, fucking put me on yeah. any flight. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I, got, as I got further into it, the party became, it took over my life a lot, the, yeah. the drink and the drugs and all that stuff. But I wanted to tell you that story because I felt really guilty oh, about that for ages. Well, I appreciate your honesty, though. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd be dead angry at me. I was no, like, mate, you can't mate, even fucking mate, remember, so no, it's fine. It's, it's, you know, I think shit happens, you know what I mean? I'm not, I've been in the industry long enough to know what, what goes off, and it's, yeah. it's cool. At the end of the day, that's part and parcel of being a manager. You don't get paid for everything you do. In fact, you probably get paid for about 20% of, <laughs> of what you do, but that's... That's part and parcel of the gig. You, yeah. know, you, you know that when you get signed up to it. You know, when you take on a new act, you know you're not going to get a return, an immediate return. Yeah. It takes time to build that up if you're going to do it properly. So Absolutely. That's, that's something you take on the chin, but I appreciate that. Yeah, sorry You'll about be able that. to sleep better now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a weight lifted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our last was like, it'll be fine. I was yeah. like, I don't know if I should say this on, on yeah. air, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I'm yeah. glad, I'm glad play, I told mate. you. Um, actually, so fast forward then after that, um, a project that you're working on now, which I really like, mm is uh, North Star 360. Yeah, I yeah. like to talk, I like to give you the reins a little bit, let you yeah, talk about it, okay. but like, let, tell, tell everyone a little bit what North okay, Star so, 360 is. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm still involved in, in Locust, the management company. I still manage uh, Chris and John, Leftwing Cody. Um, yep. I, I, uh, I manage BK, the hard house producer, and a guy called Paul Clark as well. So I'm still doing that in the background, but a project came to like beginning of last year. We, my office is at Talyard North, which is in Wakefield. So I, I work there every every day, five days a week. And one of the guys who I work with is Andy P Pickles, who I mentioned earlier. He runs a company called the Music Factory Entertainment Group, and North Star 360 is a sub subsidiary company of that. Now it's effectively a record label, but um, it's also a, a talent incubator for aspiring artists. But where most record labels focus on probably 18 plus, our focus is very much on the young, younger adults. So we nurture kids between the ages of 13 and 17. So I've got three kids myself, two of which are in uh, comprehensive school and very musically minded, but fucking hate music. Really? Because it's so archaic, you know, okay. yeah, there's there's a space for playing a trumpet and everything else. Oh, so is it still, is it still like it, that? It's still very much like wow. that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they touch on a bit of electronic music, but not to the degree of, of what we try to do. So we've, we felt there's a real niche in the market where we can go into schools or we can get kids from schools into our facility and we can give them real world experience of what it's like to be in the music industry. So Amazing. in August, we did a, a pilot scheme with Wakefield Council um, and we went through an application process with all the schools in the local area and 30 kids uh, came into our facility over the summer holidays for a week. Um, and we gave them um, a proper sync brief um, uh, from the Stranger Things 
series, an actual brief that we got from the from the production team. So it's what they would get so if you were them. So their their next I think series five of Stranger Things was the year of ninety. I've never actually watched it myself. Oh, but you know, no, I've not. Oh, no, my kids have, but I've never I've never had the chance. Big but fan. the the year was nineteen eighty seven. So they gave us five tracks that they were looking at to get what they call reimagined. So you've you've seen it before, like a Lloyd's TV advert. You'll hear a song that you know, a really famous song, but it's a totally different version yes. you've never heard of before. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well that's called flipping hits, basically. Okay. And there's a, a label and a, a a wonderful lady called Emma Stakes, who I work with at, um, at Talyard North. She's got a, a label called Reimagined, and her label does exactly that. She gets uh, tracks from a, a publishing company called Hypnosis, and they basically reimagine those tracks. They'll do, you know, a, a, I don't know a pretenders track and make it into a chill out version for a, spe- a specific film. So this brief was an actual real world brief that we'd had from the Stranger Things production team. So these thirty kids. Bearing in mind that they've all had some background in music, either they're in a band or they're looking to do maybe a B-Tech or a master's in, in music when they yeah. get to college or university. Um, so we divided these kids up into groups of five with a lead producer who we work with, and they basically got given the brief, and they'd go into these studios. A lot of them were singers, uh, guitarists, drummers, some amazing, amazing talent. Um, and they all went away for the week, and they learned how to reimagine the track. And they all in, played in one week. Just in, in, one, in week. one week. Wow! It's obviously we we keep the courses quite fast paced to keep their engagement. Got you. But what we do with these development camps, this is like an entry level. So there's three stages to what we do. We've got development camps, which is almost like the introductory part of it. Following that, they can do skill programs, which I'll come on to. And then the third part, which is kind of like a bit more of an industry understanding. So music law and things like that. Yeah. So the development camp is the door opener, really. So they came in for the week. Um, they learned, they, went, they worked in our studios. They recorded their vocals. They recorded them playing the instruments. And they reimagined these tracks. And at the end of it, um, they played those tracks on a proper A&R panel with representation from Hypnosis and all these people from Sync teams who gave wow. them honest feedback on their tracks. And then during that week, in, in, in between them having the studio sessions, we gave them um, uh, insight talks, so talks about how to promote yourself as, a, as an artist on social media, for example. Um, another talk on creative design. So all these teams that they broke off into had to... N- give their band a name and then they had to design a logo to go with that and our creative team would then build make them the creative for their band so it all gives them it gives them a bit more of a sense of what it's like to be in the industry that's interesting because we did exactly that Mm -hmm. we went through the 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 mood board of the logo and what you want to do and then we sat down and had those conversations but Yeah, yeah so essentially it's like having Almost how how you would have a manager, but from the age of what was it thirteen, yeah, thirteen to, 17, to 17, seventeen? Yeah, the average age on that course we did in August was about fourteen. Um, wow! And so yeah, they they learn all this little this industry understanding is probably the broader term yeah. for it. Well, what does a project look like? You know that Stranger Things brief. What what is it? To, what what? So they basically, they they outlined you know uh, the certain scenes that they're looking for music for. Okay, so quite certain, specific. It's quite specific. Certain tracks that they're contemplating on using for the next series because obviously in Stranger Things it's all about certain years. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and it's basically you. They might say, well, this track might work in. We want a, a breakbeat version or something, or we want this track as a chill out version. So you've got a bit, a bit of an understanding of what they want to come at the end of it, and then so after after that week camp, yeah, we then surprised the the kids by saying, well, actually, we're gonna these versions that you've done, we've actually edited them to a Stranger Things trailer, 
and we played oh, the straight wow. and when you watch the back you can actually watch the, if you if you go onto youtube and search north star 360 you can actually see these trailers and you can listen to the music that the kids did and it's absolutely fucking mind-blowing because when you put that music to the trailer it's so powerful wow um, and then we release those tra the, the actual music as well on all the dsps oh, so, okay. um, so there's actually a product that gets so you can go end. on spotify now and search the tracks and the and the and the the band names that the kids decided to call themselves and they're, and they're on spotify and apple music in fact three of the tracks actually charted in the alternative track on on itunes no way that's it, amazing yeah, yeah so i mean to come away to go back to school and tell your mates, well, I've got a track on Spotify and I've got you know, this trailer for Stranger Things with with my voice on it and me playing guitar in it, it's fucking mind blowing. You know, you I would have killed to have done something like that at school. Absolutely. So that's that's the starting point. So now we're talking to other councils across the north, even some councils um, just north of London actually who want to do these development camps for the kids in their area. So the the, the kids. So is it? Was it a summer camp thing? Yeah, that was a summer camp okay. thing, yeah. But the, the, the goal moving forward is to do probably three three cohorts uh, every single year. So one one in maybe around the Easter, one in the summer, and one towards the back end of the year. And then in between those, those development camps, the next stage, because it's really important that there's a follow-on from what we do. We don't want to do these camps and go, yeah, cheers, kids, off you go, see you later. There's got to be an opportunity then for them to develop their learning even further. So the skill camps are the next phase of that. So... Okay. If you've gone through your development camp and you're like, you know what, I really like, want to learn more about a songwriting. So you can do an eight-week songwriting course, yep. which is like on a night class, so after after school. Yeah. And the kids can do that program, but it's all mentored. So you're in a classroom, one-to-one, -one, and you're learning with your mentor all along the way. And we do three camps. We do... Um, the, sorry, the skill programs, we do songwriting, music production, and film and photography. So they can do those eight-week courses, and then at the end of that, we hope we try to get them to do internships, so potentially we talk to Sony, Warner, all these major major labels, about seeing if we can get these kids opportunities so they can develop their learning. Yeah. And then the final stage then would be industry understanding, so learning about music law, how to protect yourself as an artist, wow. what to look for in contracts and publishing and PPL and neighbouring rights and all these things that you need to know as an artist so that these kids, by the time they're 17, they're fully armed and equipped with with where to go to next and at the same time building the networks to be able to know who to go to a record label and how to present themselves as an artist it's incredible that the whole that whole process i mean i, I did read about i did read the deck you sent me across mm. a few weeks ago when we were chatting but hearing it all back like that it's actually it's making me realize how little i knew when i got into this yeah i didn't have and me and sean have talked about it before in terms of the not so much the the music industry know-how, but more about guidance with regards to your health and how you look after yourself, yeah. right? Because yeah. I, I, I always say this, when you go to like Miami Music Conference or you go to ADE, all this behavior of like partying, it's all enabled from the top down, yeah. right? So I was coming at it from this point of view and only thinking that was kind of where the guidance would have been great from, to have your manager going, right, maybe when you go to this place, when you say you go into Australia, make sure you sleep this much and then don't drink on this gig because you've got to be knackered, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But this is like, this is a whole other level of knowledge. Like, no one, even 10% of what you've talked about when I first signed with my first manager in 2015 yeah. would have been like... Especially about the PPL and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I had no yeah. fucking idea yeah. what it was about. I didn't even know. I was signing documents left, right, and centre. Yeah. I didn't have a fucking clue yeah. what I was signing. Yeah. And this, this is quite common now. It's like I've, you know, I've been witness to, 
you know, young artist, because it goes back to what we were saying earlier about being excited about your young yeah. producer, you've got a track signed, someone puts a, a contract in front of you, you don't even read it, you just sign it. But there's been so many times that I've been witness to in my career where of artists that have signed contracts that are really not not right, do you know what I mean, in terms of protecting the artist. Oh, so, oh, yeah. you know, it's, you've got to be really careful. And if you're not clued up on that, you, you know, we, we teach you the basics of the things to, you know, to look for in a contract, for example, you know, how to protect yourself as an artist and how to, most importantly, make money from your music. Because a lot of artists just release music and think they get a check from their label yeah. and that's it. Yeah, it's not. But there's like not, it's like I've all reeled off before. There's so much more to it. Uh, and unless you've got somebody that's knowledgeable and knows how to, you know, maximize that for their artist, then, you know, you, you might as well piss it down the drain, don't you? Yeah, that's fucking, that's amazing. I think that's just such an incredible um, project that you're working on. And yeah, I think, it, especially for the, you know, just for the, for the, the knowledge on even just how to read contracts and know yeah. what not to sign away yeah yeah from a very uh, early early stage in your career in terms of um that's an interesting question in terms of funding for this i, I know you said the the councils were on board and maybe yeah. another one north london and um, those is it this the photography the, the yeah. all those they, they would all be funded eight week. yeah i was gonna say are they funded yeah. or yeah, they, they would be funded private? so basically you have to go through the development camps to okay. gain access to the skills so our goal is to put between 750 to 1,000 kids through uh, the complete program in the next three years. Amazing. But in order for us to do that, we need to raise probably the best part of a million quid. So you're still we're, looking to raise So we're, you know, we talk to a lot of, you know, there's lots of funding pots out there, but obviously that takes time and stuff. But we're working on that quite heavily because we've got the concept now. You know, everyone's, you know, just like yourself, has sung praises about it all. I think it's, we're onto something that could potentially be quite big, not only for you know the music scene, but the creative industries as a whole. In the UK, the education yeah. system. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is not you know. Yes, it's called North Star Three Hundred and Sixty, and obviously we're based in Talyard North. We're all yeah. about leveling up. We're Northerners. Yeah, as you can probably tell <laughs> by, by my accent, you know, you don't have to move to London to get into the music industry. There are opportunities, but I don't want this to be oh, this is a Northern thing. It can be a whole UK wide thing. Yeah. And my goal would be to you know I've worked in this industry a long time. I've I've been through a lot. I'd like to, I'm at the point now, I'm 50 next year, I want to start giving something back, you know, and if we can get more kids and engaged with music and the creative interests and give them the tools in order them to get there quicker, because you know as well as I do, artists are going from that to that in a very, very short space of time. If they're not equipped with the information Absolutely. that they know, then it's, it's, a, it's a quick and hard battle to, to learn. Yeah, and painful i imagine well yeah 100 percent. yeah so if if for people out there who are listening um if they were looking to get involved in the funding where where do they go do they've got a website or yeah i mean you search for north star 360 on all the socials um you can email me lee haslam um all one word at northstar360.co.uk and i can give you some information but yeah we like i say we're talking to all the aim the bim there's loads of people that we're talking to about funding um but hopefully we can get that overline fairly amazing. quickly i think it's an amazing project mate and i hope you smash it. You've Cheers, got my mate. full support. If Thank anything you else that we can talk about on this podcast for it, you just let me know. No, I appreciate we'll it. Is there anything we missed on, on the on the North South 360? No, no, that's that's anything. it in a nutshell, really. So yeah, all good, mate. Amazing. Well, we're coming to a close. Yeah. Now we've 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 been quite serious or quite um not serious, but we've been more <laughs> a bit more serious this time than yeah, we normally yeah. were. Yeah. Sometimes we're talking about fucking weird <laughs> shit on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking that on the way down. I think I'm not. Well, you, you've, you've listened to it, so you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's up to oh. you. We don't have to go 
you're no, 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 no. Okay. I think I've got one story. Your maddest after story. I want to hear it. I would say it. it's mad, but it's funny. It's <laughs> or just, just, just Yeah, I mean, uh, back in, like, we're talking like when I first started out, it must have been 90, 96 or something like that. And we, uh, I used to DJ, and my residence was, was the Doncaster Warehouse. Lee, I was seven, just so you know. Oh, thanks for <laughs> Just uh, my, my head was going, say it, just say it, just say it, just do it. Yeah, wank <laughs> it. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we'd gone, we were, there was me and my, my, my best mate Dave uh, and Stuart, we all lived in this, this den of iniquity, this house, and we always used to go back at, back afterwards, and I can't remember what, what happened, but I think our girlfriends at the time challenged us to get dressed up as them. Right. So, um, so... <laughs> Oh, I've just got a flashback of my best mate wearing a dress. And, uh, and uh, they all, he got, got, all, got all dressed up and put all the makeup on. And he, they were all sat down on, on this sofa at this crack on with like trance music blasting out. Everyone's off the nut. <laughs> and um, my best mate had totally forgotten that he'd arranged to play golf with his dad the next morning. So at seven o'clock in the morning, they've got three blokes all dressed up in, in dresses and makeup and wigs. He went. And his dad walked in. Oh, why are you oh, coming there? Yeah, he's walked he in. He forgot he was coming. He's, he's forgot all about his club. He's cross-eyed, dressed, <laughs> as, dressed, dressed as a girl. And he said, oh, so golf's off then. <laughs> he's not going anywhere. Oh, no mate. one's making that yeah. tea time. No, so he'll kill me for telling me that story, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, mate, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate no, it. No, it's a pleasure, mate. It's really nice to see you. And I, I said this to every single guest that comes on. I haven't actually had one hour where we just sit and talk one sober or two, actually just yeah, no, in general, yeah, we haven't yeah. actually sat for no, this no, long, exactly. had a conversation, and I think the, the North Star 360 project's incredible, yeah. I wish you the best of luck with it, mm. um, and yeah, thanks for coming down. No, man. thanks for having me, mate, it's been great to see you. Nice one. Cheers, Cheers. buddy. Does anybody know where the afters is? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.